0: With over three billion people relying on fish as a critical source of protein, and millions more depending on fishing for their livelihoods, the health of our oceans has never been more vital. And yet, we find ourselves at a tipping point where unsustainable fishing practices are wreaking havoc on marine ecosystems, posing a profound threat to the very fabric of life beneath our oceans. The magnitude of this issue is staggering. Currently, a disconcerting 90% of global fish stocks are either fully exploited, overexploited, or depleted. This alarming trajectory endangers not only the diverse marine species that call our oceans home, but also the delicate balance of our world's ecosystem. As we navigate these treacherous waters, we must confront the harsh reality of overfishing and the need for immediate action. So could there be a way to preserve and protect one of our most naturally sustainable sources of protein? Welcome to Racing Green the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Thank you for joining us today on part two of our three-part series on saving our oceans. We chat with Dr. Linda Rodwell, Associate Professor in Ecological Economics at Plymouth University, to discuss the intricate world of sustainable fishing, its impacts on marine ecosystems, and the delicate balance between securing livelihoods and preserving our ocean's health. Welcome, Linda.
1: Thank you very much, it's my pleasure.
0: Before we dive deep into the world of fishing and the oceans, no pun intended, <laughs> I wonder if you just tell us a bit about yourself and, and your background and how you came to this world.
1: I love the sea, as, as many of us do, and I love living near the sea. So I live in Devon, and many of my joys were to do with being near the sea. And much of my research over the last 25 years has focused on the marine environment and specifically on activities such as fishing.
0: So I wonder if you just give us a bit of a big picture view of what's the current state of the marine environment
1: globally um, our marine environment is is very diverse we have obviously 70 percent of our our planet is covered in oceans and and we can see a, a lot of diversity in marine life and habitats but it's increasingly under pressure in in our waters in the uk and globally it's increasingly under pressure from human activities Alone in the UK, we have 8,000 species or so of, of fish and seabirds and sea mammals. But those, uh, along with the rest in, in, in the globe, is, are under pressure from activities, direct ones like fishing that I've mentioned, but also less intentional consequences of, of pollution and climate change. And I think we're all aware of plastic pollution being a big issue and, of course, climate change. So we've seen declines in fish uh, abundance globally in terms of, you know, in in our waters, we might think about uh, halibut or or salmon or bluefin tuna, but globally, we might talk about the Pacific tuna and uh, cod collapses in in the Grand Banks. And it's happening all over the world, sadly. And there are pressures on our coastal habitats globally, and increasing levels of pollution, of course, are affecting marine wildlife and us. So... All all of these pressures uh, can result in the loss of vital ecosystem services provided by our ocean, which underpin both our our human well-being. There's more and more research on that in terms of how dependent we are for our well-being on on our oceans, but also our economy. And the fishing
0: industry at large, I mean, it's a huge industrial scale industry. How does it affect marine environment, either for good or for bad?
1: Well, large-scale industrial fishing with active gears such as uh, dredges and beam trawls, they have devastating consequences on the marine environment. They not only catch the, the vast quantities of fish that they are targeting, with improvements in technology they're able to do that. So we might think about it, they're trying to catch cod and haddock, for example, but they catch many other fish and marine mammals when they're doing that uh, because they're dragging along the, the seabed and destroying habitats for the remaining fish in the process. So this fishing can have damaging impact on the dynamics of the system itself, and threaten its resilience and its ability to respond to further external pressures, such as climate change that we mentioned earlier.
0: What would you say is the biggest problem? Is it just that we're doing it at such a scale, or are there specific types of fishing formats that are truly bad?
1: Well, Like I say, I think it is the scale. The scale and the fishing methods are the two two biggest issues in terms of uh, of fishing. Industrial vessels, they catch these vast quantities. They are catching them at a rate faster than the fish stocks can replenish themselves. And that's what leads to the problem, is that actually fish are a renewable resource. And in theory, we should be able to exploit them forever, but the problem is with this this scale of fishing that we're taking out fish faster than they can replenish themselves and therefore we're running down the stock. So the, the estimates are that, that the overcapacity of the global fishing is is somewhere, it's two and a half times what it should be to meet our needs.
0: How, how do we measure whether a population of fish in a given area is being overfished?
1: I think first indications that a stock might be overfished is when you have constant sort of pressure on that fish stock in terms of fishing effort, and then you see the catch declining over time. So this is something that that scientists would call catch per unit effort seems to be declining over a long period of time. And that might be a first indicator, but it's it's not enough really to determine whether the fish stock is being overfished. So scientific research would look into the size and age distribution of fish stocks, and, and they can determine to some degree of accuracy anyway, that whether there is likely to be overfishing in terms of the growth or recruitment of the stock. And they might look at also the relevant abundance of different species within an ecosystem. And and that can indicate changes in the structure over time. So the function of the ecosystem might change. And that's an indicator of overfishing at the ecosystem level. And we end up eating much further down the food chain than we originally wanted to. You know, people joke about eating jellyfish in the future and um, this is perhaps a little closer to reality than than people actually think.
0: I'm originally from Australia and um, I've kind of seen lakes in Australia just like inundated with jellyfish and you go, oh my gosh, this this is, seems to be the major form of life.
1: <laughs> and it's happened in other places in the Black Sea, for example, there's you know plenty of jellyfish to eat if you really want to eat that.
0: I haven't tried it yet, but it uh, doesn't, mm. doesn't seem to appeal to me. What are the solutions to overfishing?
1: Okay, I I think before looking at the solutions, you need to look closely at what's causing the problem. It is a systemic problem. Overfishing is a systemic problem. So there's lots of things that we can look at that have really caused it. And and one of the things, so in my area of research, we look at uh, this idea, this pursuit of growth of an industry, for example, at any cost. And I think this applies very much to the fishing industry. That this desire for growth and profit of the industry at any cost, and that cost is to the environment, means that if if we pursue this goal, we come out, up against against the limits of the environment, of the resource, which is what we're experiencing now. So globally, the FAO, the, the Food and Agricultural Organization estimate thirty-five percent of our fisheries globally are being overexploited. So that's a source of a problem. The technology is also a source of the problem, which is things like fish sonars and, and high-tech uh, vessels. Make it, the, the sonars themselves make it very easy to find fish, even when there are very few left. There's also a problem in terms of the market. As fish get more scarce, what happens is the free market would lead to a price increase, making it still profitable to fish. To extinction in some cases, and, and at the moment we have the, the Pacific tuna is an example of a critically endangered species, and it's critically endangered for this reason, really. It's got to that stage that it's, it's commanding very high prices in the market, um, uh, which means that it's still profitable to fish it, even if it means extinction. So researchers have asked for and argued for at least thirty percent of our oceans to be protected from fishing, and that really means true protection. That means no extraction of fish, and and at the moment that's uh, we have a very small proportion of our oceans are, are covered by marine protected areas that actually fully protect fish. So it's about globally, it's about five percent, and in UK waters, it's probably about one percent, uh, less than one percent, in fact. So, closing off these areas to fishing will allow the f- recovery of stocks, and therefore it would sort of eliminate that scarcity and that problem of high prices over time and that driving uh, particular species to extinction and the other one obviously linked to that source in terms of the government is we need to remove harmful fishing subsidies, uh, those that encourage that overcapacity of fisheries um, and so obviously the, the coupled with the destruction of those the, the marine Environment. So, those are, I think, the, the three areas let go of this idea of continued growth of an industry, protect 30% of our oceans at least, and remove harmful fishing subsidies. There are other areas that we could look at, but those, if we did that, I think we would make a significant impact in terms of the health of our ecosystems, our marine ecosystems.
0: So do you think we should be eating fish? Do you think we can eat fish sustainably?
1: <laughs> OK, it's 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 a very good question, because as I said, fish naturally are a renewable resource and potentially can be eaten sustainably. But in the current situation with stocks, really, I say 35% are being over exploited. And there's another sort of 55% are being fully exploited, which means that in fact, since the 1960s from about 10 uh, kilograms per head to to about 20. And if you think about it since the 1960s, that's also come along with, you know, almost a two 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 and a half fold increase in population. So that's just the sort of scale of increase in pressure in terms of our demand for fish. So can we fish sustainably now? On a global level, no, I don't think so. Um, if we do something about it, could we do it in the future? Yes, potentially. If we really act now, we have to, that's the good news. The, the, the good news is that we do have time to make a difference, to make a real difference in terms of uh, allowing fish stocks to recover, allowing habitats to recover, allowing our oceans to restore their health in terms of their capacity to store carbon, to, to um, regulate climate. All those things we are seriously dependent on. And we're really... Up against the limits at the moment in terms of whether we can do that. So, should we be eating fish? <laughs> we shouldn't be eating as much fish, certainly. And I think in in some countries in the UK, for example, we have choices, don't we? We're not, we don't have to eat fish, and, and fish is not actually the healthiest option. We have much more options in terms of plant based diets now than we used to. But in other parts of the world, then fish probably possibly is is the only option. And, and so you can't extend that idea of just eliminating uh, fisheries uh, globally necessarily. My answer is we should reduce it considerably if we really want to have an impact to, to our, our oceans and really have a positive impact on, on our ocean health. What do you
0: think of certification bodies? Does their work actually prevent overfishing?
1: The idea of certification is a good one in, in the sense that the general public, the con- consumers want to know. They want to know what they're eating. For the most part, at least, they want to know. And they want to see a little symbol saying that what you're eating is good. Um, it's it's sustainable. The problem is with certification is there are no real guarantees. It's very difficult to to ensure that all the fish that you're eating, all that tuna that you you might eat, is completely dolphin-free. For example, okay. So I think I think the Marine Stewardship Council has a job to do there in terms of really um, confirming and and assuring people that their certification is is accurate. People want to know, consumers want to know what they're what they're eating, but this does need to be genuine. We need to have accurate information in that. And people need to be able to trust the certification in order to make this work uh, long term.
0: Why, why can't you just, you know, if, if something has a certification, why can't we guarantee that that fish did not have an impact on sort of dolphin populations?
1: It requires monitoring every move that is made in that sort of production chain for that fish. And that's quite hard to do. Not only is it is it very expensive to do, but it requires... Following that fish literally from catch to the table um, in in terms of the impact it is having okay um, and not every vessel is being observed in terms of their activities um, maybe it should be um, but that does require a lot of um, effort in terms of uh, and money in terms of uh, observers and I don't think that is is happening right now. That's my honest opinion about it. I wish it were, but I, I my honest opinion is there. There are challenges there in t- in certification.
0: So overfishing is a is a major major problem for our oceans. What are the other areas that we should be concerned about with the sort of the health of our marine environment?
1: Well, I, I think. All well, things are, are, are linked really. Obviously, a, a big issue that has been raised uh, is, is pollution, is, is plastic pollution in particular. And I don't think these things can be separated from what's going on in terms of fisheries because um, it's almost 50% of the plastic in the ocean is, is fishing nets so um it 's a big problem and and some of these uh, nets and other plastics, for example, break down and uh, create problems in terms of microplastics we can 't even see them, and they 're getting into our food chain so that is a, a major problem to be addressed, and we 're working on it, <laughs> not me particularly but um uh, but colleagues are, are working on that issue um, and obviously, climate change that is something that uh, that we need to to address. Um, and again, it, it's, it's a major issue that, that will affect everyone, particularly coastal regions, in terms of their livelihoods.
0: Would you say there's an urgent need for significant changes in our fishing practices?
1: Yes, I would. I would say it's quite, it's urgent. I think... Uh, Researchers have said that probably in the next 30 years, if we don't do anything, there won't be any fish left. That seems quite drastic and, and a need to, to, to push things forward quite quickly now. And, and I do think we're making some progress. At least, at least the right talk is being talked, if you like. Um, it is taking a long time. But, for example, there's, there's a lot of talk about marine protected areas and the expansion of networks of marine protected areas around the world. We we wanted to be thirty percent. It's only about five percent now, but um, there are moves to try to to make that increase uh, increase towards uh, that that goal of thirty percent.
0: And on a global scale, who's going to make that change? Or how is that going to happen?
1: The World Trade Organization, with one hundred sixty four members who are agreeing to this, is it plays a vital role in terms of bringing people to the table and saying this needs to be done. Can we all agree the details of it? So there are bodies that are that are international bodies need to need to really come to some sort of unilateral agreement on on these things we obviously our waters our oceans are connected so that that makes a lot of sense but we can do things at national levels as well so national governments can make a significant impact in terms of saying you know 30 percent of our waters will be protected from fishing for example
0: so on a scale of one to ten how optimistic are you that we're going to solve this problem
1: I'm forever an optimist, so I'm going to go for eight.
0: Dr. Linda Rodwell, thanks for joining us here today on Racing Green. My pleasure. That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Geoffrey Young, Chris Bristow and Georgina McGiven in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound design by Chris Bristow.